Listen, me being in the hospital four times, that's so 2022. Okay, I'm not, this is a new year. I'm not, I refuse to go to the hospital. I'll be, Ron Baum will have to treat me with triage at the, at the office before I go back to the hospital. So listen, well, I'm, uh, before I jump into things here, really excited about our night of five workshops, five different workshops on one night. We really tried to have something that would be available for each person. And so think through about which of those workshops would be good for you to sign up with. Uh, those are on our church app and the church website. And three times a year, we're gonna have different workshops on themes that don't always um, get touched upon on in sermons to continue to equip you. And um, in our Spanish service that we're launching, we're really excited. This has been in the works for uh, well over a year. I met Wally and Cherie. Uh, I met Wally just in the community at his, at his job, and he started coming to the church, and then they came over our house, and this has been something we've been dreaming about for a long time, and so thank you for praying with us, and if you know anyone that Spanish is their first language, um, or they only speak Spanish then, please invite them to that service in two weeks that we're having. Well, our family made the right decision to not do a cross-country road trip. We, uh, one of the cities we were visiting, Gatlinsburg, on the same day we would have been there, there was snow and ice, and they... Uh, they don't know how to drive in snow just like you don't know how to drive in snow. And so it was a good decision. We avoided them, ran away, went south to Mexico, visited five cities we've never been to in Mexico on a cruise. And um, the worst thing happened to my wife, the poor thing. She had a problem happen to her that she couldn't even ask for prayer for because it was too much of a first world problem. When she got home yesterday off the cruise ship, she still felt like she was on the cruise ship. And I'm like, you can't even ask anyone to pray for you because I'm like, oh, the poor thing is not on her nine-day cruise anymore. Oh, we'll pray for you. No one's going to pray for us. But God judged me because today I woke up and it started happening to me. So if I fall over today... Don't even worry about it. Don't even pray for me. I, am, I deserve, I shouldn't treat that lady like that. Well, if you, that lady, I should also call you that lady. I should say my, my loving sweet wife that bore three children to me, not that lady. Sweetie, why don't you come to next service? I'll do better. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open to the book of Ruth. Or if you have a phone, you can open to the church app and follow along with the scriptures and the notes that are there. We're continuing our series, The Best is Yet to Come, by taking this week and next week in the book of Ruth. The context for the book of Ruth is in verse 1, where it says, this happened in the time of the judges. But if you read the book of Judges, that is the worst period of Israel's history. It's horrible. It's bad decision after bad decision. They forget about God. They worship false gods. They're judged for it. It's a nightmare. And we have the book of Ruth right after that to remind us that when the whole world looks like it's falling apart, God is still moving to help a nation and to help a single family. And God is going to do this. And so Ruth is there to show us that God is still at work even during dark times in our lives. The times where you feel like God is farthest from you and maybe you even feel like God is against you. The, the truth is, God is laying a greater foundation for your future happiness. The best is yet to come. We experienced that idea on our, on our cruise where we had one day that was, a, it was in La Paz and we decided, let's go swim with some whale sharks. What's the worst that could happen, right? And so we get into a boat and um, everything was just always out of reach. The, the boat was an hour late and going out. And then, and then as we're on this boat, we start all excited. Yeah, we're going to see whale sharks. This is epic. This is going to be amazing. But water is splashing us on this little boat 
for an hour as we could not find any whale sharks. And in the beginning, I'm trying to get the kids excited. Oh, it's okay. It's worth it. The best is yet to come. I knew I was teaching this series. It's going to be great. It's going to be worth it. Eventually, they just gave up in life, sat there as the water is pelting them in the face, didn't even bother putting a towel around them. They'd just given up, kept on, we want to go home. We want to go home. Eventually, I was like, I want to go home. This is horrible. They couldn't find sharks. And so the first time they thought they found a whale shark, it was on a race. We jump in, the, the guide takes off, and, and, and we're supposed to follow him hundreds of feet with, with kids, and they're just floating there, and then my kids start freaking out, and I have to get them back into the boat, and I was like, I don't even know if they're going to make it. The water's choppy, couldn't see anything. So we wanted to give up, and then finally, we found like a snoozing whale shark, and we jumped into the water, and boom, <laughs> this, this terrifying beast that was twice as big as our boat is there, and whale sharks, they, they, they hoover the water in through the front, and they're trying to get some fish in that mouth, and, and they don't eat you, which is great. They don't ever eat humans. And so uh, Gideon jumped in, and when he put his head under the water and saw that, he screamed, it's too big, and freaked out, and climbed over my back, back onto the boat. And, but I was so proud of Abigail, my little 11-year-old. She jumped in the water. She was brave. It was choppy. And she stayed in there for a few minutes. It's one of the few times in life she could say she was braver than her brother. And I was really proud dad moment for her. She did really good. And it was so seemingly worth giving up until we saw that and realized, well, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And in life, there are plenty of curves in the road, accidents, tragedies, setbacks, but we have to believe that God is going to get us to our final destination. We all know that's true when it comes to heaven being in our future, but what we see in the scriptures is that even here on earth, after difficult times, the best can be still ahead of us. And so we see this in Ruth chapter one, verse one, where it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. Naomi. Uh, And the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left with, uh, without her two sons and her husband. And you think, man, well, what, what kind of a book did you pick for the best is yet to come? This is literally one of the most discouraging starts to many of the books in the Bible. Like, it couldn't get much worse than this when we read this. But, but if we believe the best is yet to come, then we have to realize setbacks are not the end. And this is a book that is full of setbacks, tragedy, especially for Naomi. Her family left Moab due to a famine. So they leave everyone that they know because the the land where where God's people were, there was a famine there. And so they took the risk and said, we're gonna go into a a pagan land where they worship false gods and we're we're gonna go there where where there's rain. And then Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies there. And so she becomes a widow. Her sons marry Moabite women and are childless. They're barren for 10 years. And then both of her sons die and leave two more widows. What a difficult start to a story. But one of the most encouraging things that we can take away from this book is that that's just the first few paragraphs. It literally is the beginning of the story. 
and sometimes our setbacks and tragedies in life make us feel like everything I knew that was good before this, it's over, and only grief will remain for me, but that's not what we see in the book of Ruth. Was all of this a consequence of Elimelech's maybe sin of leaving God's promised land and going to a pagan nation, a nation that had fought against Israel many times? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe, maybe in his heart he was continuing to be faithful to God and sharing about who Yahweh was with these people, but he just needed to provide for his family, and you think, who can blame him? Or more likely, is it just that as believers, we are not promised to escape pain in life? I wish, I wish that wasn't true, but becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that the rest of your life is pain-free and prosperous. And if you've lived long enough, you've realized that, that there is pain in the life of the believer still. Even if their pain was for disobedience, it makes this story doubly encouraging because it shows us that God is willing to turn his judgments into joys. And so this book starts with a life of setbacks, and sometimes that's where we feel like things are at. We're just saying, man, nothing is going right Nothing is, is working in my favor. And so in verse six, it says, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her two daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth replied, and this is one of the most beautiful statements we have in the Bible. Uh, so beautiful. People say this at weddings, and it's a good reminder of our commitment to the Lord. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. We see here, if the best is yet to come, then we cannot stop hoping. We have to keep hoping. Naomi, in this passage, exaggerates her hopelessness. I skipped over this unusual custom that we see in Israel where she's telling Orpah and Ruth, I can't help you. You might as well go home because our Israelite custom is that if I had other male children, you would wait till they became of age and then they would marry you and continue on the line of your dead husbands. She goes, that's not gonna happen. You're not gonna wait you know, a bunch of years for that to happen. There's no one else in my family that can help you. And in that, we don't blame her for her despair because it's probably the same condition we would all be in but she is exaggerating her hopelessness and forgetting something amazing that God is doing, that there is someone that can help them. I think the, the hopelessness I, I, this week on the cruise was extra exaggerated since we were on a beautiful cruise, but when my, my son Titus at one point said, this is the worst day of my life. We're like, oh yeah? Oh yeah, little cruise boy? This is the worst day of your life? Grandma and grandpa gave you money to spend on all the ports, and he's out there bartering, making deals with vendors, and he's getting two desserts a day, lunch and dinner desserts, ordering room service just for fun, just because it's cool, and this is the worst day of your life because of something your brother or sister said to you. He's like, yeah. And you think, that's ridiculous. But I wonder if that's how we look to God sometimes, who sees the end of, of the story. 
He sees his goodness still towards us, but we are just laser focused on our problems. I don't want to minimize anyone's pain that they're going through, but Naomi was so bitter that she was blinded to the little rays of light that were still beaming in her life. We see in verse six that God ended the famine and basically invited her to come back towards her people. That was God's goodness. God preserved a relative to continue the line of of Naomi, of Elimelech, and we we meet Boaz a little bit later on. And God inspired Ruth to stay with Naomi. It would make no sense. Why did she do that? Why not start over with her own people? God inspired Ruth to stay and help Naomi. So far from being against her, God is soon going to work through the sad circumstances to bring into the world the one that would redeem all of us. Jesus Christ is a part of the line of Naomi. In in more recent terms, we see that, it's a spoiler alert for for chapter four, but Naomi ends up being the great, great grandmother of King David. It, It never would have happened if these sad circumstances hadn't been allowed to go about. And so, God is working an amazing plan. The lineage of the Messiah will pass through all of this pain. But Naomi is blinded to that, so we cannot stop hoping when we are struggling. So you see a summary of her struggles in verse 19. It says, the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune among me. So the best is yet to come, so we cannot forget good theology. Naomi has some theology, but she's missing out on other that would help her so much. She says, call me bitter. She she wants to change her name. Hey, don't call me Naomi, because look at my life, it is bitter, but a name change implies permanence. I will always be bitter. I will always be judged by the Lord, so change my name entirely. I like to say that when my wife Shannon married me, she became permanently sad, because her initials went from Shannon Astrid Blake to Shannon Astrid Dean, and so she is forever sad, according to her initials, right? I think life's, yeah. That's great. Listen, Naomi rightly attributes, if my daughter were here, she'd be rolling her eyes saying, Dad, nobody likes a dad joke except for the dad, and that is true, and I'm still going to say them. But Naomi rightly attributes all of her circumstances to God's sovereignty, but she's focusing entirely on what God has taken away, not what God has provided her, especially Ruth, who is so good to her. But Naomi knows three important things about God. God exists. God is sovereign, and God has allowed this pain, right? She doesn't say, because my life is bad, God must not exist. But some people go there when there's pain and suffering, and you say, well, I guess God isn't real, or why would he allow this? But she knows God still exists. She knows that God is sovereign. She's like, God God is the one afflicting me. And she knows God allowed all of this pain in her life. That's actually good theology, but if you forget the most important anchor for our soul, you're missing out on a lot of comfort. She forgot that God is good. Nahum 1.6 says, the Lord is good. And when we are suffering, we have to remind ourselves that doesn't reflect on the character of God. 
It it reflects on a a world full of sin and, and pain that we happen to be a part of, but the Lord is still good. She forgot a few things that had predated her in the Bible. Naomi forgot the story of Joseph. Joseph was hated by his own brothers because he seemed to be, you know, a daddy's boy, and they were jealous about that, so they got so enraged, they threw him into a pit then sold him to some passing travelers, and he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And he didn't deserve that, but he was stuck now. He tried to be faithful where he was. He was accused of wrongdoing and thrown into prison, even though he was innocent. And then in prison, he had a chance to get out by interpreting some dreams with the help of the Lord. But those people forgot about him and left him in prison. So he was faithful there and had responsibilities there to help the the, the warden there. And so he continued his faithfulness And eventually, God gets him out of prison and he interprets a dream for Pharaoh and is raised up to second in command in the entire world. And and he rules and he's, he's there helping Pharaoh during a time of great famine. And his brothers even come, repent of their sin to him, and he is able to provide food for the people of God. At that time, the nation was was only 70 people. And they were preserved despite all this chaos and pain. And Joseph says in in Genesis chapter 50, looking at his brothers, he said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And it was for his personal good and for the good of the nation of Israel. She forgot this. Can't blame her in her despair for forgetting it, but she forgot good theology that would have helped her. She forgot the book of Job, which many think is is one of the oldest writings in the Old Testament. Jobo, a wealthy, faithful man that Satan just starts picking on, and eventually Job loses all 10 of his kids, all of his wealth and livestock and everything in a single day. But Job looks around and says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all these things, he did not accuse God of wrongdoing or sin against God. Wow. How could you not, with something cataclysmic like that, not say, Lord, what, have I, what is your fault? But he doesn't. Even his wife says, curse God and die. Really, super helpful lady. And, and, and he looks at her and says, no. Shall we accept good from God and not bad? No, we have to accept both things from the Lord. And what I love about the book of Job, despite all that pain and having bad friends around him that continue to blame him even though he didn't deserve it, At the end, the Lord reveals himself in one of the lengthiest passages about who God is. And in Job 42, 12, it says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job even more than the former. Job was given 10 more children. The other 10 that had died were preserved in heaven for him. All of his livestock was doubled, and he lived an extra 100 years after that. For Job and for Naomi, It's literally just the beginning of the story that is a tragedy. Even though we think it's the end, so much more happens after that. And so Ruth tries to help. Verse 19, it says, um, Ruth chapter two, verse one says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. If the best is yet to to come, then sometimes we just need to take the next step. We just need to be faithful to do the next thing that shows we're not giving up on life. 
that we're still trusting in the Lord. Ruth just wants to be proactive and say, let's just focus on the next meal. I will go and glean. That was an Israelite custom because God was so kind. He would tell farmers, hey, don't harvest everything. Leave some of the outskirts of what you're harvesting for the poor. Drop something once in a while for the poor. And they would come and they would harvest and they would be able to take that home. And so, so Ruth is doing this to help. Naomi almost sounds defeated and paralyzed in her grief. She's like, go ahead. Yeah, sure, whatever. And what felt like a normal, simple decision for Ruth ended up being an amazing God moment. The scriptures describe it as, as it turned out, or, or what a coincidence, this was the field belonging to Boaz of the same clan of Elimelech that Naomi's husband was there. So you think, what a coincidence. No, what a God that when you just take a simple, faithful step in the will of the Lord, that he can make that a part of his plan. And that's what God did. Naomi doesn't even realize this now. This is just Ruth experiencing God's love at this point. She doesn't know who Boaz is or whose field this is. She's just taking the next faithful step. And in grief, sometimes that's the hardest thing is when you feel paralyzed is just to, to take the next step. And that's why it's important to have, to have godly friends around you that are gonna bear your burden and say, I'll help you. I'll do the research. I'll make the phone call. Let me deliver a meal for you. Let's just not give up and keep moving forward. So it says, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. And he asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. If we really believe the best is yet to come, then we need to trust that God still has a plan for us, that God isn't done with us. God preserved a wealthy and godly man for Ruth to protect her, to provide for her. That's why I said that Naomi was being hopeless before because she forgot that Boaz was apparently a single man, a part of the clan of Elimelech that could help her family. And so Ruth asks a question that all of us should ask when we look at the Lord and his goodness towards us. Verse 10, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? It's a great question for us to to look around and say, God, why would you be so good to me? Why would you love me so much that you would, you would add humanity to your deity and come down to this rotten world? Why would you take my sins upon yourself so that I don't have to be judged by them? Why would you adopt me into your family? Why would you do that? It's a great question she's asking. And Boaz gives her an answer. He says in verse 11, well, because of what you've done for your mother-in-law, You've been faithful. You've, you've been committed to this idea of, of following the Lord so much so 
that you took these practical, basic steps to help a widow. Even though you were still grieving, you chose to help someone else, and it shows your heart for following the Lord. And so he says, may you be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, ultimately, why am I doing this? Because I'm just an instrument that God is using to reward you because of your decision to go and seek shelter under his wings. All right, why are any of us blessed by the Lord? Because we hide ourselves in Jesus, because we go to God for help. You could say that God's honor is at stake when you go to him for help. He's promised to help those that trust in him, that walk with him, and so we need to take him up on that promise and follow God and watch what he will do. This is the message of the gospel. And so you've got some like the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that they were always against Jesus because of their pride. They wanted to be the ones that were in charge and in control, and they, it was their destiny, and, and so they never sought refuge in Jesus. And Jesus wanted it, Matthew 23, 37. He looks at Jerusalem with tears in his eyes and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. He said, my heart has always been to open the door, to invite you in, but you weren't willing. You were too stubborn and prideful to humble yourself and say, I need help. But if we were to say, Jesus, help me, he describes through his metaphor here that He'd be happy to, to gather any chicks under his wings, but we, but we were not willing. The plan of God is always within his will, within his boundaries. And so when we struggle, we're tempted to run away from God. We're tempted to find temporary satisfaction in the things of the world and sinful decisions because we think God's abandoned us, God's given up on us. But if we, if we resist that, and even in our grief and our tragedy and our, our frustrating setbacks, we stay within the will of the Lord. We say, no, I'm, I'm still gonna come to church this week even though I feel like God has not blessed me at all this week. I'm gonna do that. I'm still gonna open this book and read the Bible even though I'm having a hard time understanding. I'm still going to pray even though I don't feel like you're there. When you stay within the will of God, that's where his plan is. And Ruth just making a simple decision to take the next practical step to help another widow ended up being exactly part of God's plan for her life. And so we can trust that God still has a plan. So finally, Naomi gets to discover that God isn't done with her. In verse 18, Ruth carried it back to town. Everything She got like 30 pounds of, of grain that day. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. And her mother-in-law asked, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man that took notice of you. The, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. And I believe this next line, she's, she's saying to God, not about Boaz. She says this, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. It's gotta be about God because Boaz isn't showing any kindness to the dead here. God is continuing to show kindness to Naomi. So she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Other translations say kinsman redeemers. Boaz was the close relative that could help the family. 
she forgot this. She forgot that he was home. Maybe at some point when she left, he was married and he was a widower when, when she got back. We don't, we don't know, but she was hopeless at one point, but then she realizes, wait, God might not be done with us. Boaz can actually help us. Deuteronomy 25 and other passages in the Old Testament share with us what a guardian redeemer is. This is a, a close relative that when an Israelite husband died before he had male children that could carry on the name, this close relative was to buy their land, pay their debts, avenge their family if somebody had wronged them or, or murdered someone, avenge them, and even marry the widow to continue on the, lane and, uh, the, the line and raise up children according to that name. But it wasn't mandatory. It was honorable, but it could be refused. Right? It, we're going we're to see an example of that where someone thinks, yeah, this is a great idea. When he finds out he has to marry someone, he's like, I can't marry you. I'm already, I'm already married. I can't help you in that way. And so there's still some suspense in the story. Is this what God's doing? Is God going to help through Boaz? And in Ruth's story, we see a reflection of our own story if we look close enough. All right, we find ourselves in the helpless situation of a, of a widow, we could say. There's nothing we can do to be right with God on our own. We can't get to heaven on our, on our own, and we have accrued a huge debt because of our sin. We deserve punishment because of our sin. We are in a helpless condition, and we need a guardian redeemer to do what is necessary to remedy that situation, because we can't do it on our own. It's important when you read the book of Ruth to put yourself in the position of, of Naomi and, and Ruth and recognize we are helpless without the kindness and love of God in our life. And Jesus is that guardian redeemer for us. You're like, well, it has to be a close relative. How is Jesus a close relative? God, the far off distant God we would think, loves us so much that he added humanity to his deity and Jesus, through the incarnation in that manger, is forever the God-man. And so he, he, he can relate to us. We can see how Jesus relates with sinners, how he's merciful and how he's kind. And so he lived the perfect life according to the law. He was punished on the cross for our sins. And that big debt that we owe God because of our sin, he paid that debt. He redeemed us. And he's gonna do whatever's necessary to make things right and to make our family whole again. And so we are adopted into the family of God because of what Jesus has done. No matter where you are in life right now, no matter how frustrating or devastating the setback is that you're experiencing, because of what Jesus has done, you can say the best is yet to come because there is a kinsman redeemer there is someone that loves you so much that he's going to, to fix all of these problems and he's already done the greatest work on the cross and so our eternity is secure, right? The best is literally yet to come, billions of years of happiness, but during this time of testing and this time of faith, this time where our God is invisible and we have to trust the Bible, we have to trust his word and we have to put our faith and talk to a God that we, we can't hear back from audibly, during this time of testing, we have hope and we have faith because of Jesus. Jesus knew we would be in a desperate situation and he did something about it. And so today for you might actually be the, the beginning of a longer story of God's goodness and happiness in your life 
even if you're blinded by grief and bitterness. There is hope, the story of Ruth tells us. There is hope, the story of Joseph tells us. And there is hope, the story of Job tells us that the best is yet to come. And so, Father, not because of us, not because we can claw our way out of a bad situation, not because we can fix all of our mistakes, but only because of your great love in sending your son to us. That's why we can trust the best is yet to come. And so, Lord, for anyone that is struggling here with real grief, real pain, for recent widows and widowers in our, in our church, Lord, we don't want to minimize that pain. Lord, we, we want to come alongside them and, and help them, whether that's helping them take the next practical step, whether that's listening to them share stories of their loved one who's no longer here. Lord, help us to come alongside those that are grieving and struggling. Lord, for those that are frustrated because it's one obstacle and setback after another, and it's more stress and frustration than, than grief, Lord, help us to come alongside them and remind them the Lord isn't done with them. There's no obstacle greater than the Lord that he can get them past that problem. Lord, with you right next to us, our future is bright. And we thank you for that. And that gives us great hope, which is why we praise you, which is why we love you, which is why we believe in you. So we love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna finish this great story next week. So I hope you come back next week. God bless you guys.